afternoon and welcome to Wellbeing for Everyday Life with me, Maeve Halpin. I'm talking today to Maria Burke, who's an old friend of the show here. She's been on before. Maria is a public health nurse down in County Cork and she has just completed a master's in the psychotherapy of relationship mentoring, which is a tremendous achievement. Congratulations, Maria. And I know you've talked before about your own journey in uh, studying relationship mentoring, what it's brought to you personally and what it's brought to your work. And I think there's lessons for all of us in what you've learned. So you're very welcome to the programme, Maria. Thank you, Maeve, and thank you for having me back. And you're speaking to us, t- to us today from Kinsale, I think, is it? I am. Yes, I'm speaking to you from the lovely Kinsale, where I work in the Kinsale Primary Care Centre as a public health nurse. And I think that public health centre has won awards, has it, for its practice? It has. We won a health and wellbeing award back in 2018, just pre-COVID, uh, for the work that's carried out here by the whole team, the multidisciplinary team, right from the GPs, the occupational therapists, physios, psychologists, home health coordinator, home health staff that we, we would liaise a lot with as public health nurses. So that was a wonderful achievement. Yeah, and it's interesting to know that there's a whole a network of professionals there working in the background and working in homes all around the country, That's carers, right. public health nurses yeah. and so on. They're the kind of yeah. invisible army that uh, keep the That's whole country right. working, actually, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, that is yeah. it. That is it, yeah. Sure. So, Maria, um, you'd like to talk to us today, I think, a little bit about your studies and what you've learned from them because it's been a very enriching experience for you and I know you've been on a, other radio shows as well talking about that. So maybe you could tell us First, what brought you to decide to embark on this course of study? Well, like you, you said, Maeve, you know, I have been doing some work on myself uh, with the last nine years. And I started off uh, doing an interpersonal communication course, a level seven in UCC under Dr. Tony Humphreys. And then I did a higher diploma in relationship parent mentoring, again under Dr. Tony Humphreys in UCC. That was a level eight And then the opportunity came up to do a master's uh, in Technology University on the Shannon, again under Dr. Tony Humphreys. And this this was the first opportunity to progress right through from the interpersonal to the master's. And I got the opportunity to go on the program. And it was just, I loved the approach so much, I just felt I couldn't say no. And I suppose having worked as a nurse for over 40 years and as a public health nurse, for over 20 years, I just thought, how wonderful, what a wonderful opportunity. And really the opportunity as well, Maeve, was to do more inner work. And of course, that's a lifelong journey. So I suppose the opportunity to, more, to do more inner work equally provided me with an opportunity to give more holding and support to the people I am privileged to pri- provide a service to in the community. Mm-hmm. And the, it was a two-year part-time master's where we covered... Lots of different topics from children to psychiatry to well-being to conflict and then a final thesis, a 15,000 word thesis and mine was on the psychological safety experiences of public health nurses on the front line. Okay, Maria. So that sounds fascinating. Can I just bring you back a minute? Can you explain to us what you mean when you say inner work? Inner work in that looking at my own story, Maeve, you know, Everybody has a story and equally, whether it be conscious or unconscious. So looking right back and, you know, looking at all the theorists and like Frank Lake would say, we're present from the time of conception. 
So, you know, with the lovely new mothers that I see on the course of my work, and I'm sitting with them and giving them holding and saying, you know, you have this beautiful creation right from the time of conception, equally all the way through until end of life, looking at that from my own story and my own inner work and where was I in myself and whatever protectors I might have had in my own story that I didn't have a looked at and had a greater understanding around. Maybe perhaps at times when my behavior was, I was more reactive than responsive. And what I mean by that, maybe if you're reactive, you're not connected to yourself. If you're responsive, you're connected to yourself. So if I'm saying, oh, you this, you that, Maeve, I'm not talking about you at all. I'm talking about myself. Mm -hmm. But if I'm giving an I message, then I'm completely in touch with myself and my head is connected to my heart. Mm -hmm. And what does the word protectors mean in that context, Maria? Well, I suppose protector, all, a, a protector is a creation. So say, for example, if I, if I am maybe even angry or hostile or aggressive, that's a protector I have developed right throughout my life, maybe from something that I encountered on the course of my journey. You know, a protector, a protector could be for people maybe, you know, um, maybe alcohol, maybe drugs, maybe sex, for whatever reason. And there is no judgment around a protector because what we would like to do is get underneath the protector to see why that is there for you and maybe for you then to emerge into your fullness so, and give opportunity for that to emerge. So a protector is like a defence mechanism, really, yes. something we've yeah. learned to employ as a way to defend ourselves against feeling vulnerable or hurt. Or, yeah. And yeah. I guess we, de we develop these things in childhood Typically, yeah. don't we, if we're in, yeah. a, in a world where we don't feel safe for, for whatever reason? And That's then right. we can continue to employ them as adults when they're not appropriate anymore. Yeah, yeah. They're learned I, behaviours, really. They're learned behaviours. And I suppose as well, what I found on the course of my work, Maeve, as a public health nurse, like there's nothing a public health nurse doesn't encounter right through from birth to death. And you're going into situations, maybe perhaps where uh, a mother has lost a child, has had a late miscarriage. But equally, what does that trigger then for me in my story? And how do I mind myself in that? And what is the degree of psychological safety I have in myself, in my own story? And where do I go around that? Okay. So you know, it's about self self care of you and minding yourself in situations it. where you're going yep. to be hearing difficult and painful stories from that's others. That's yeah, it. yeah. And yeah. so, so what does psychological safety mean, Maria, in that context? Well, I suppose for me and my understanding around psychological psychological safety is the degree to which we are unafraid to express ourselves openly and consciously. And then, if there is lack of psychological safety among individuals. In the places where we live or work, as I said, as a public health nurse, it leads to unintentional use of enormous human potential for defensive rather than protective purposes. So again, if, if you're in situations as a public health nurse where you're overworked, you know, you're feeling out of control, you have a lot of, you know, maybe uh, clinics to attend to, you have new babies, you're attending to people at end of life, you, could be, you become overwhelmed. 
And then when you become overwhelmed, you're nearly out of control. What am I going to do here? How am I going to mind myself here? And what supports do I need to mind myself in that? And I had huge interest in exploring this in the context of the story of the work of the public health nurse and how much of ourselves we bring into our work. Of course. And traditionally, would the organisation itself that employs you, would they have been minded about looking after psychological safety and preventing burnout and so on for the public health nurses? Well, I suppose on the course of my research, the, the care wouldn't, would not have been great. And, uh, you know, it, it saddens me in a way to say that. But in my, um, in my research, you know, typically if a public health nurse is overwhelmed, we do have access to, you know, employment assistance, EAP is what they would call it. Mm-hmm. And that's where there is a free counselling service, mm-hmm. which is confidential. And you can be referred by your employee to this EAP. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, everybody I interviewed, what was striking for me in the emerging teams was the lack of trust in the EAP, the stigma that's maybe attached to it. You know, it's seen as a defeatist. One, one participant said to me, you know, I would see this as a defeatist if I had to attend EAP. Another person said they did not feel that the issues were resolved. One of the inter- people I interviewed said, yes, it was wonderful to go to EAP, but then they were so overworked they could not go back for follow-through and follow-up. That, to me, was very disappointing, but was needs to be out there and put out there to say, look, there really needs to be minding of our staff here. Absolutely. Well, I think anybody who works in the caring professions are at risk of burnout, you know, because there's always more care needed than we're able to give. And the demands can be endless and it can be difficult to say no, especially for people who are caring. And and equally, as public health nurses, Maeve, we can't say no. There's always babies being born. Unfortunately, there, there is the elderly and the vulnerable and the sick that need care. And certainly through the COVID pandemic, us as public health nurses never stopped working. I'm sure. People worked from home. We can't work from home. How can we work from home? We were going out into people's homes, wearing our PPE, providing a service. Mm-hmm. And equally, that, that had to be done and we had to protect ourselves in that. But the people had to be seen and needed to be seen. Of course, of course. Yeah. Do you think the demands have increased or the, have the resources gone down over the years, Maria, in public health nursing? Well, I suppose, I ha- certainly, and I know it's been highlighted a lot on other radio stations, we are extremely short of certainly home care staff on the ground and the elderly. And, I mean, we see it every day. It works so well. It worked with my own mother who had home health for 15 years and it maintained her living at home, which is certainly the way forward. But unfortunately, it is not an attractive position to come into now for certainly home health going forward because of the salary, the cost, their mileage, and this all needs to be looked at. And even us as public health nurses, the other thing I noticed in my research, a lot of experienced, wonderful public health nurses are leaving because of the, the lack of support, maybe lack of training around the computers, maybe it, that, that they're inexperienced around the computers and thinking that this is the way forward, whereas the, the, the care needs don't change. But because of the, the, the workload and the bulk of the work and the population of the work and the expectation, people are tending to leave rather than stay, which then puts pressure on the people on the ground. Of course. 
And I certainly yeah. know in Dublin, a big issue for people staying in, in jobs like home care is yeah. uh, the cost of accommodation is unaffordable and they can't live That's in it. Dublin. That's it, yeah. Mm. And I know they're very short of midwives. You oh, know, really? They're in hugely Dublin? short of midwives because of the accommodation crisis in Dublin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a fundamental question that has to be addressed, I think, for the, um, the yes. whole healthcare system all over the country, really, actually. Yeah. It's a big issue. Yeah. A lot of people leave, as, as you know, doctors and nurses yeah. leave and go to Australia or Canada or other countries That's where right. they get better paying conditions and less That's stress. Right. Yeah. And I've worked abroad myself and I have worked in Australia and again you know you asked earlier about what what led me to do this piece of research I just experienced such psychological safety in Australia over 25 years ago now Mm -hmm. that it just thought I would love that approach to be here in Ireland now I will say that the approach in concealed primary care is the nearest I have I have experienced from my time in Australia and it's all around the relationship with my fellow colleagues, the multidisciplinary team and the support we give each other. But it is just wonderful. And like Timothy Clark, one of the people I read during the research, when you behave until you believe, change is possible and positive change. And that's what I would wish for for everybody in Ireland, especially the public health nurses. And what were the factors that created the psychological safety in Australia, would you say, Maria? What I found was certainly it was the listening and you were really, really listened to and you were really empowered. And the approach was nothing. There was nothing you couldn't do, Maeve. You know, um, I was working in the psychiatric services in uh, Sydney and the approach was there was no stigma. We're here to support people. And like I was saying earlier, there's no judgment. Mm -hmm. There was no stigma, no judgment, plenty of staff, plenty of support. You know, if you felt you were reaching burnout, then there was no stigma to say, look, actually, I'm struggling here. And you were given support that, again, that it didn't matter if you were going support. Nobody judged you or talked about you or there was stigmatizing around you, which can be a little bit like what's happening in the system at the moment. And that was that came very much to the fore on the course of my research, the stigma that's attached to it, and actually nobody listens. That was one of the reports. Another person I interviewed said, nobody listens. And sure, when you're not feeling listened to, do you ask for support? You tend not to, because there's fear around it. So when you're talking about listening in Australia and then lack of listening in Ireland, you're talking about like the managers, the supervisors not listening, the system not listening? The system not listening. Right. The system not listening. And again, I suppose too, it it goes back to your own psychological well-being. So when I'm in a solid psychological safe space and place myself that perhaps I now am on the journey of, because I've done so much work on myself, my approach might be, as I was saying earlier, less reactive and more responsive. And I'm making more requests and demand. So then my language has changed. Mm-hmm. So in the change that I've experienced, that then has a ripple effect to the people around you and the people that's supporting you. Or I can say to my manager, I'm sorry that I, I'm overwhelmed here. I need support. Sure, Rather sure. than perhaps shouting and screaming, saying, I need help, I need yeah, help. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm requesting help here. Can I please get support? Right. 
Okay, all very important and fundamental stuff for everybody who works in any profession, but especially That's the it. caring professions, I think. Yes. So I'm here talking to Maria Burke, who is a public health nurse down in Kinsale and has also recently completed a master's in the psychotherapy of relationship mentoring. And the first song that Maria has chosen for the show today is Happier by Ed Sheeran. Dublin South FM. Welcome back to uh, Wellbeing for Everyday Life. And uh, I'm talking here to Maria Burke down in Kinsale, beautiful Kinsale in County Cork. And she's a public health nurse. And Maria has also just recently completed the Master's in Psychotherapy of Relationship Mentoring. So it's really great, Maria, to hear someone who is in the health service and working on the front line at the cold face like yourself mm-hmm. talking mm-hmm. about self-care and minding oneself and being aware of your own needs and having boundaries and so on like mm-hmm. you know so often i think there's this concept of people working in the services like that that they're kind of saints or angels and they have a vocation and you know they're yes. just able to give yes. give give endlessly yes. and ob- yes. and and it, they're mainly female dominated professions but it has to be That's said right. so That's uh, right. like it's fundamentally important i think that we all but especially anybody in these um frontline roles are able to take responsibility for their own self care that's kind yes. of what you're talking about isn't it yes completely Maeve. yeah absolutely and you know again i, I suppose I have wonderful colleagues and they know me quite well now, but it is just so wonderful to support each other. And that's what we find as public health nurses we tend to do. It is the support that we can give each other in a loving, caring way. And what we notice as well, certainly in our work here in Kinsale, that other disciplines have clear boundaries, like your occupational therapist, your physio, uh, the speech therapist, whoever, they have one issue, perhaps, say, to assess and deal with, whereas the public health nurse, everything, like one of the participants said to me, everything is thrown at you. And equally, short of them going to heaven, we never get to discharge a patient, which is, which is quite true because if someone elderly is requiring care and you're putting in a home health service and you're putting in for respite or whatever, they're always going to be on your books. So you're constantly getting this influx of numbers which are kind of unsustainable, but equally in our loving care that we are as public health nurses and we want to give a very high quality of care, we never get to discharge a patient. And Mm. equally, we are the first port of call, you could say. Mm-hmm. If a GP gets a referral, the first thing they'll do is they'll refer to the public health nurse, say, go out and perhaps do an assessment, which we will do, and certainly around a palliative care patient. You can't leave them. You have mm-hmm. to go and assess them. Mm-hmm. And you want to go and assess them mm-hmm. and provide a service mm-hmm. so that, that clear boundaries lead to better safety in the worst workplace. But not having clear boundaries is very difficult for us as public health nurses. It's very difficult. And like one of the other participants said, I'm not a robot, and we're not robots, and we don't want to be robots. But sometimes it almost feels like that that's what we're doing. You're robotic in your style of working because there's so much being thrown at you. I can understand that completely, yes, yeah. So do you feel that, like, the learning that you've gone through on the mentoring relationship um, program, Maria, is something that should be integrated into training for nurses and other healthcare oh, professionals. I would love it for everybody. 
absolutely everybody. And we see a lot of students here in Kinsale and in all the other healthcare services. And psychological safety is a concept that both healthcare students and educators are unfamiliar with. Mm -hmm. And this is in one of the articles, which was a 2021 article by Ramatella et al. And it, like, I would love to see leaders and manage, managers examine their lives so they can light the way for others, because that's what it does. You know, when you're in a truly solid, safe place and you know that all, everything is of us, for us, and belongs to us, and all our behavior is of us, for us, and belongs to us, all our communication style, and even in communication, like words only contribute for only 7% of our communication. Your voice cues are 38%, and facial cues and body language are 55%. So if you're going into a manager and you're thinking, is it safe now to go in here? Is it safe to go in and be my true self and just put something forward here that I'm being, I'm struggling with? If you're not getting a receptive, loving response, so you're not going to go there. Sure, of course. And equally, when you're, when you're on a journey where there is such exploration, and you're getting to a deeper level of consciousness. Sure, it, it, it's, it's fantastic. It opens, up, it, it opens up love and support for everybody. And like Edith Edgar, the most amazing woman that wrote the book, The Choice, she said if you're giving people time, you're giving people love. So if we're in a place where we can get time and get support, we're going to be so much more happier and content in ourselves, in the care we give ourselves, but also in the support and care we can give others. Yeah, and in some way it has to become acceptable and people have to have permission to look for support when they need it and not and it not be seen as a form of weakness. That's it, that's it. And to say, look, I am struggling here or whatever, I, I really do need the support. And, you know, I sat in front of participants, Maeve, who were openly crying in my presence. And in my, in my exploration, I didn't name anybody because... Ireland tends to be very small and certainly the public health nursing service tends to be very small. And I know, you know, maybe perhaps I do tend to have a voice. People know the name Maria Burke. So then I did, and I, I didn't want to pick anybody outside of anybody that I knew, but I also had participants openly crying in front of me, telling me their story, telling me their experiences, but equally getting so much out of the listening and support I gave them. One of the participants said, oh my God, Maria, this is like a counselling session. Okay, so these were the public health nurses that you interviewed for your yeah. thesis. Yeah. So they appreciated the opportunity to have a space to talk, I'm sure. Absolutely, absolutely. And it was, it was, it, 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 I had to open my heart open to them, but equally acknowledge what was being triggered for me in listening to their experience and their story. Mm -hmm. And one of the participants, you know, um, quite openly and honestly telling me about, you know, an experience of when her mother died and then going into a situation where it was almost similar to when her mother died, which I experienced with my own mother. When my mother died, I went into a situation to a family and I stood at the end of the bed and started crying. And not being afraid to do that and equally saying to the family, I really apologize, I said, but my mother died under similar circumstances and I started crying and the, the, the daughter gave me a hug and said, thank you so much. She said, it proves you have a heart. Oh, and afterwards, in my processing of it, mm-hmm. I was thinking, gosh, I really hope I, I, am, I have a heart and I, 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 I give my heart to those that I encounter. 
Mm-hmm. But there is, as I said, there's nothing as a public health nurse we don't experience, and is to acknowledge that, but also that we really do need support in psychological safety around it. Of course, of course. So the, co- the relationship mentoring approach talks about co-creation. Uh, what does that mean, Maria? How would that be relevant to the average person who's maybe not necessarily working in services? The co-creation, you know, uh, was founded by Dr. Tony Humphreys and Helen Ronsell, his wife. And there is a therapeutic and educational practice. It's rooted in the psychoanalytic and psychotherapeutic theories. But for me, in my work, and what I've learned for me in the co-creational approach is the sitting, the listening, the non-judgmental. So, like I said, going into that family and being so open and honest because of what they were experiencing around their own mother. And I having the, the openness and honesty to say to them, I'm here openly crying because I also experienced that. And again, for me, in my work as a public health nurse and in the approach, what I've noticed is my whole approach has changed, especially also we see mothers and new babies. We do developmental checks. And I'm sitting with a new mother who, you know, they might have said, oh, she's got postnatal depression. And like my approach now is, you know, emotional wellness or unwellness that I also have experienced myself when I had my daughter, Abby. And I'm not afraid to say that. So that's co-creative. So I'm sitting with this beautiful mother, with this beautiful parents who have their new beautiful creation. And the mother may well be emotional. And I'm listening and taking her where she's at and giving her support in that without making a diagnosis, without making a judgment and giving her support right throughout and also maybe sharing some if it's appropriate, of my own story, that to me is co-creative. Okay, and it's so important for mothers to be able to go through whatever it is they might happen to be feeling when they give birth yes. because it's a roller coaster of emotions and there's a lot of hormonal yes. changes happening and yes. mothers may feel a pressure that they should be just full of the joys of life like yes. around the clock, whereas it's an enormous change in, um, in a woman's life and in the father's life as well and one can have a lot of contradictory feelings at that time. And, and, and equally, may have, it may have been a traumatic birth. True. You know, and pregnancy. It might have been, and pregnancy. And, and equally, I, I now find, for me, I'm not afraid to ask the question. Mm-hmm. You know, how was it for you? Do you want to tell me about that? And equally, just sitting and listening and taking them where they're at. And again, a new baby also impacts on a relationship. So, Uh I mean, you know, and I know myself, my own daughter, Abby, you know, I was in my 40s having Abby, which completely impacted on my relationship. But also it brought up issues from my story around when I arrived into the world with my twin brother, Dennis. So, again, I would have looked into that in the last nine years and having an understanding of that for myself and having compassion and love for myself around it and equally in the love and support I was trying to give to my own daughter and the impact it had on the relationship with myself and my husband. Okay, it's quite complex there. There's lots of variables in the mix, isn't there, really? It is, yeah. uh, Yeah, yeah. And why it's really good to find a place, like obviously I work as a counsellor, so people do this all the time, come to me and talk for an hour, you know, where they can talk about exactly what's going on with them. And there's fundamentally, there's no judgment. That's really the most important thing, so that people can feel they can express whatever's going on for them. And they don't have to be ashamed or guilty about anything. 
and there is no judgment and that's why I love the co-creative approach you know and Tony Humphreys you know has done so much work himself in his own story and going forward in bringing this approach in that there's just taking people where they're at and you slowly slowly begin to emerge which is so wonderful okay so who is this kind of study aimed at Maria like is it typically healthcare professionals who do this uh, relationship mentoring training or is there a broad range of people who attend? Oh, there's a broad range of people. Uh, there's a broad range of people and I mean, uh, there, there was so many people on the Masters programme. The fantastic Lucy Wolf, who I know you interviewed previously, you know, the sleep consultant. Mm-hmm. There was um, a beautiful lady who's involved in the education system and did wonderful uh, work and her thesis was around the psychological safety experiences for teachers and sure, like it takes a community to raise to raise a child. Mm-hmm. So how like the teachers, how much holding do they give themselves in the support, and how psychologically psychologically secure are they within themselves mm-hmm. to provide psychological safety to children, which are our most important asset. Mm-hmm. Like we're handing children over to te- teachers. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a there's another beautiful lady who did a, uh, her research around. She she does parenting courses mm-hmm. and around the people that were coming to the parenting courses. So this the wish would be for everybody for this to be available to everybody because if we do the inner work ourselves, how amazing to emerge and provide conscious, supportive holding to others. Mm-hmm. So there was a broad. There was people who were doing mentoring themselves. There was a psychologist on the course. Uh, there's other people who are psychologists themselves who are working in, in private practice but are using the co-creative approach and having such success in the co-creative approach. There's play therapists who are doing it. So there's just a broad range across a, a, a wide sector and they're, fi- they're finding the approach empowering. So people who are interested can start at a level where they, it's not a, a university qualification, it sounds like. Am I right about that, Maria? Oh, no, it is a university qualification. No, but, but, inter- to, but to start off, sorry, maybe I'm wrong now, but did you initially start doing a short course or where did you start on that journey? I started on, in UCC, in interpersonal communication level seven. Oh, right, okay, yes. sorry. And that, that was a part-time okay. one-year course and then... A mm-hmm. two-year higher diploma, level eight. Okay, okay. And the master's is a level nine, two years part-time. Now, I will say it was more than part-time because I did cut my hours. I went down to a three-day week mm-hmm. to give it the time mm-hmm. and the space. Mm-hmm. But equally, the work that was coming up for me on myself, mm-hmm. uh, and I felt I had to give it that quality of time mm-hmm. in my reading and in my work, and a part of it was, was a journaling. We did some journaling, and as, as you know, Maeve, a lot comes up when people journal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And a journaling lot means just writing on a daily basis, is it? On a daily basis, mm-hmm. yeah. Writing yeah. about what's going on for you internally. What's going on for you, and what's yeah. resonating for you, and if you're doing a presentation on the course, which mm-hmm. we would have had done in all the courses, mm-hmm. what's coming up for you around that, and what supports are you getting? And equally, we had one-to-one uh, mentoring that was part of the process we had to go for one-to-one mentoring mm-hmm. and shared vision mm-hmm. and shared vision is more is people might call it supervision mm-hmm. but again it's whatever's coming up for you and it's in the sharing of what you do with your shared vision practitioner mm-hmm. again in a non-judgmental safe space okay so this was part of the course itself yeah this is part of the training okay yeah. okay so yeah. you were you were meeting somebody one-to-one for 
uh, relationship mentoring, but then you were also meeting somebody for shared vision yeah. process. Yeah. And what does yeah. shared vision, what did that look like in that context? Well, a shared vision would be if, if I was like, there are people out there doing one-to-one practice with this approach. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm using it a lot in, in my work. So I have done a little bit of one-to-one. Mm-hmm. But if you, see, if you see, say, five people on a one-to-one, mm-hmm. then you'll go for shared vision around maybe what came up or how maybe you, you dealt with a scenario or how, how, what kind of holding you gave that person and were you comfortable yourself in giving that holding. But also, are you struggling yourself in it all? Okay, sure. Yeah. Okay, so obviously I'd be familiar with that from a counselling point of view because yeah. it's a professional requirement that we go for yeah. supervision, obviously, on a regular basis as well to yeah. discuss our client work and yeah. whatever it might be throwing up for ourselves. Yeah, yeah. So okay. effectively people can attend a, counsel- a relationship mentor pretty much in the same way that people would attend a counsellor to deal yeah. with whatever yeah. issues that are coming up for them. Yeah, okay. there's a lot of different modalities and there is uh, the Irish Association of Relationship Mentors is the website and that would be our body that we are attached to and our, uh, there's wonderful, wonderful people on that body that are doing amazing work across Ireland mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. Dublin to Belfast to everywhere, Galway, Cork, uh, mm-hmm. Limerick, amazing, amazing people, Kerry, mm-hmm. doing amazing work on a one-to-one and getting amazing results. Okay. And there's also people running parenting courses mm-hmm. and uh, in conjunction with the one-to-one co-creational mentoring. Uh-huh. But as I said, for me, I'm finding it has been so beneficial and so effective in my approach to myself, with my relationships with my, my, my husband, my daughter, my siblings, and then my beautiful colleagues. It's just been transformative. And as I said, I'd wish it for everybody. Isn't that wonderful? Fantastic. And as you say in your work, like you, you're, you don't have appointments the way other professionals do, like the occupational health and the physiotherapy and all the rest. They have their appointments and their day ends at like 5.30 or 6 o'clock or whatever. Whereas yeah. for the public health nurses, you're more or less on duty and available to everybody in the community. That's right. As they did. Right. Yeah. So... And, uh, and it's, I mean, it is, I love the job, Maeve. I absolutely love it. Now, there are days, of course, you have to mind yourself around it. You know, like, say, if you're due to go on holidays or if you have a large workload. So you have to mind yourself there and be mindful. And again, it's wonderful for us to have the opportunity mm-hmm. for me to have my one-to-one support for my co-creational mentor or go to shared vision. Fantastic, yeah, and we all need these kind of places to offload, don't we, and to recharge our batteries. Yeah. yeah very much so. Okay, yeah. so I'm here talking to Maria Burke, uh, public health nurse down in Kinsale, County Cork, and uh, Maria's second song is called Wind Beneath My Wings by Beth Midler. Dublin South FM. Welcome back to Wellbeing for Everyday Life with Maria Burke in Kinsale, County Cork. Maria, you're a public health nurse who is applying the principles of relation mentoring now to your work, to your personal life, to your family and finding them very productive and helpful. So I'm just wondering for our listeners now, we hear a lot about the cost of living crisis. There's anxiety about housing, about inflation, about climate, about so many things. Um, How would you say the 
principles of the co-creational approach could help people today? Um, from from my own work personally and from my research, Maeve, I think it's just to bringing awareness around it yeah. and bringing the awareness of the importance of this. And like as we know, um, the pandemic has exposed primary healthcare nurses to a wide variety of personal and professional pressures, and this has had a negative influence on their mental health. So further workplace support systems must be guided by an awareness of stressors and an understanding of what has aided and what has harmed employees' well-being. So they might, for me and from my approach, definitely would benefit from additional research into the long-term effects of these stressors, as well as effective coping mechanisms that can be provided around maybe looking at, like, EAP, how appropriate is it? When the history of EAP is, like, quite, uh, you know, it's, it's quite old in their approach that maybe that needs to be looked at and have a different system in place for certainly all of healthcare workers. But for me, I suppose I'm concentrating on public health nurses mm-hmm. and awareness. Like for me, I sent a copy of this to the Minister for Health. Mm-hmm. I sent it a copy to Michal Martin. I sent it to Minister Mary Butler. You know, I sent a copy to Ray Darcy. You know, I'll send it to anybody, but I think even if there's a raising of awareness around it, Maeve, Mm -hmm. that this is so relevant, Mm -hmm. and it is so relevant today and after everything we've been through, and certainly the last two years, is psychological safety is for everybody. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And let's provide provide systems and services that Mm -hmm. can provide this going forward into the future and sure... Mm-hmm. That our children are our future mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and let's provide this and let's put it into the training let's put it into the training for, for GPs for mm-hmm. doctors for mm-hmm. all healthcare professionals for teachers mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. I said there's a wonderful body of work being done out there by um, uh, Stephanie from Kerry who did her thesis on the psychological safety experiences of teachers and the interviews that she did mm-hmm. so it's so needed now at the moment mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just thinking if you could write up a shortened summary version as well and maybe get it published in uh, one of the nursing journals or something like that. Or I'm just thinking now as well about all the different theses that would have been completed on your course. You know, they could be collated some way maybe in, in, in a book, like summaries of the results and the recommendations yeah. from the theses. Yeah. Because... Yeah. Uh, I mean, the whole issue of psychological safety is very interesting because obviously we're very conscious of physical safety, you know, and uh, we have laws against violence and assault and all these horrendous things and violence is not acceptable in our society. But uh, psychological safety is... uh, an equally important concept and something that we certainly don't have as much awareness of, as you say, or as much consciousness of in terms of what are the factors that support it. So our world can be quite competitive and there can be bullying and a lot of things that happen that uh, intrude on people's psychological safety, actually. Yeah, yeah. So these are lessons for all of us here. It is so necessary to have the relational safety to Mm -hmm. be your true self. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there is a fantastic body of work from all the master students. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, all these theses will be in the library in TUS. Mm -hmm. And, like, and I know, as I said earlier, I know Lucy Wolf was on your show. Mm -hmm. I know her thesis is just beyond amazing because she has looked at the 
psychological safety experiences for first-time mothers. Okay. And I mean, what an amazing uh, piece of research that is, uh-huh. you know, and how, again, and like I, I, I said previously, like we, I'm meeting, we're meeting mothers all the time on, on the course mm-hmm. of our work mm-hmm. and around, you know, that the, the nervousness and the um, lack of confidence, say, they have in, their mm-hmm. se- in themselves about being a mother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in our approach, saying you have this, you have all the tools within mm-hmm. yourself okay. to, to support your beautiful baby, give holding to your beautiful baby. Mm-hmm. And we saw a lot of that and a, a lot of psychological safety around COVID because mothers, especially second-time mothers, were being totally present to their babies mm-hmm. and not being under pressure, perhaps to meet in-laws or outlaws or yeah. entertain people. Yeah. They were giving all this presence uh-huh. to their beautiful creation and the babies thrived. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things I did notice during mm-hmm. during COVID. Yeah, interesting, huh? Very interesting, yeah. yeah. I've heard that said by other people as well who've had new babies that they didn't, they were able to cocoon, you know, and yeah. uh, it made life easier for them, actually. Um, yeah. But on the other hand, then, there were other parents who lost the support of, like, grandparents, maybe, or yes. aunts and yes. uncles, who or yeah. whoever else was, you know, providing some level of childcare, and that was yes. very difficult for them. So people had very different experiences within the very pandemic different. as well, of course. Very um, different experiences. And uh, that's the whole point of the co-creation approach, isn't it, is that we honour everybody's experience and we don't generalise. But that everybody's experience is unique. Um, That's it. And, uh, and, mm-hmm. and I love, like, when, you know, especially when we were in class and, you know, Tony would say to us, you know, maybe you're a unique once-off, never-to-be-repeated human being. Mm-hmm. on this earth and that's for everybody it that's is. for absolutely everybody out there I mm-hmm. mean that to me I was sitting there thinking oh my god I am unique mm-hmm. uh-huh. but how, how many times do we think about it I know as you said there, there was never a Maria Burke like you before in the history never. of the universe and there never will be again and yes. there'll never be a Maeve Halpin which is a pity <laughs> you're so gorgeous but you know it, it doesn't it feel good though I think that feels wonderful that gives that gives me a warm feeling it does absolutely but it also means we shouldn't be comparing ourselves to anybody else oh completely you know comparisons yeah. are odious as they say and that's that's a very um, harsh kind of part of our culture I think where that's it's it. a competitive like and we're all we're supposed to be younger and thinner and wealthier and more educated and more popular and more successful I, you and, know? That's, and, and what's the neighbour what's the neighbour going to say yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and isn't mm. that one of the biggest nearly protectors is what what are other people saying about me mm. but that is 100% about them and I love that as well mm-hmm. everything is of us for us and belongs to us okay. and like somebody mm-hmm. recently I just happened to say hello to somebody recently and for whatever reason they ignored me mm-hmm. now previously that would really have impacted on me mm-hmm. and there happened to be somebody else around and they said oh did, did that person not say, say mm. hello to you and I mm. said well I have to leave that with that person right exactly that's not about me yes you know Yes. Well, for whatever, and again, it's like none of us know what goes on behind closed doors. Yeah, we don't know where anybody but else is at at that moment. That's it. Mm. Yeah, mm. and to be totally present to ourselves and in touch with ourselves, and mm-hmm. leave them, leave that, leave that person or myself where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Should there are times I'm not connected to myself, mm-hmm. there are times like if I'm shouting and screaming at Abby. Well, mm-hmm. Mum, that's all about you. <laughs> She'll tell me back. I'm sure she you will. Know? I'm yeah. sure she will. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's so true though about not taking things personally and not giving too yeah. much airspace to what other people think because most people are thinking about themselves much more than they're thinking about us anyway. That's right. So, uh, yeah, and it, that, but that all can be quite destructive. So maybe that's a good note to end on, Maria, the thought that we're all absolutely unique. We all have something absolutely unique and unrepeatable to contribute to the world and we don't have to compare ourselves with anybody else. We're all on the same level playing field effectively, I think. We all have our gifts and talents and our abilities and we can all contribute and be good people in the world in our own individual way. So that's what matters. So, Maria, look, thank you so much for coming on the show. If if you if that if your publication, if your thesis gets published anywhere, like maybe in some reform or whatever, maybe you let us know and we can tweet it out because I I think that would be a really good idea to make it accessible to a wider audience, maybe. Thank you. um, Thank you. Lovely to talk to you, Maria. And, and thank uh, you, you're wonderful, Maeve, and thank you for your wisdom and your experience and certainly belief in the process and allowing me to have belief in myself. I yeah. really want to say that to you. You are wonderful. That's good to hear, Maria. Thank, thank you so you. much. So thank you. now we'll end with your last piece of music, which is From This Moment On by Shania Twain. Yeah.